I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films in 1999 from Club Simpatico here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us are our great friends. <laughs> Wait. Wait, what happened? Well, hold on. What? Bill, you said that Kenny watched this movie a while ago. It seems to be so long ago that he... <laughs> Forgotten that Simpatico is the name of a horse. The horse. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, this is all staying in because it's the least. It's it's. It was you've done the amount of episodes we've done, Kenny, of places. This is the first time that it's not actually a place in the movie. I was. I. I. I, Here's here's the problem. There's a very famous, a very famous location in this movie that you could have used. The the Copacabana. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, The 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 Statue of Liberty. The Downs, where they do the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) Churchill Downs. Churchill Downs. Downs. What I was gonna say was from a horse race, probably. Yes. But uh, Mm -hmm. to to really to really highlight the fact that Mm -hmm. I watched this movie a very long time ago and don't remember anything. But instead, yep. I decided to say Club Sabbatico, which I thought was funny. Yeah, was Clay, the other it was, was funny. like, no, no, Clay was it. it. No, I, I, I yeah, like no. the idea that maybe uh, in the sequel, it would be about Sharon Stone opening a club and calling it sure. Club Sympatico. And Is she like, still alive? Like photos of Sympatico. She's still alive at the end of the movie. Yeah. Is she? Yeah. I don't remember. So here's no. here's the thing. All you right, really so real think fast. 
Ryan, you really think she's going to do a murder suicide with that do. horse? You do. But she just does half of it. Yeah, she just does the first part. <laughs> just takes out the horse. Uh, so I just, I just need to, I just need to to start the podcast and literally get out of the way here because yes. you guys uh, have a lot going on. Uh, Ryan Marker, Clay Keller, Screen Drafts, hello. Best Friends. Yeah, um, recently went to Disneyland. Uh, oh, lots of great did. things going on here. Um, we watched Sympatico. I don't know we why did. they agreed to do this, but the you know they'll do anything for us. Um, and well, I mean, Sympatico. listen, these are these. They did come on for Eye of the Beholder. Great flits, great movies. <laughs> they only come on for the bangers. That's their thing. Uh, what 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 was the movie play that you came on that was so good? The Monica Potter one. Oh God, the very oh, thought of you. The very thought uh, of you. The very thought of yeah. you. Or. Uh, meet John, Martha, Terry, meet, and Bobby. Martha, meet Thomas, <laughs> Don. I mean, and Patrick. Ryan came on for Pushing Tin. That's oh, right. You guys. Fantastic film. All right. So, Simpatico is a movie starring Nick Nolte, Jeff Bridges, and, and Sharon Stone, Albert Finney, Captain Keener. You'd think with five of our finest actors, it would be a movie that anyone would remember. I watched this movie, I remember this much. I That's mean, a big zero. Um, and yeah. I'm going to get out of the way because it sounds like you guys well, have plenty. I mean, I don't think – I think that as we talk about it, things will come back to you, Kenny, to some degree or another. I, well, I, yeah. I wrote about it when I – you know, mm-hmm. like as I do. And I yeah. wanted to read one thing that I wrote. Again, okay. I have no idea what this is in reference to. Okay. But I wrote, you know how they say some movies are found in the editing room? Well, they should have kept looking. No. That's what I wrote. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, Good I note. do think – I'm going to give the good, synopsis right, pretty, right out of the oh, gate man. here. No one's made that joke before. That's my joke. All right, go ahead. I'm going to give the synopsis real quick. Um, it's a terrible synopsis in the sense that, excuse me, uh, Carter receives a collect call from Vinny, and a dark event from the past threatens to destroy his current success. Once a good friend of Carter's, Vinny is now a deluded barfly living in a small town in California. He's gotten himself into trouble and calls Carter to bail him out before the truth about their past, their involvement in a horse racing scam with, which resulted in the ruin of an innocent man comes to light. That is the Google synopsis. It is super vague. It's really oddly told too. Um, I guess that's what this movie's about. It's really about three con artists, I guess you would say, young con artists who get involved in this horse racing scam. I, w- I want to say they're in their, what, early mid-20s back in the day is sort of what I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's Kimberly Williams and uh, a guy who I recognize from, like, The Faculty and some other movies. Okay, Sean Hattesey. Sean, yeah, yeah. And then I don't remember. I, uh, I looked up the Wikipedia. Right. And who's the third guy? Nobody. He doesn't he didn't no. go on to do anything. Yeah. He's got the um, longest hair of the three of them. And so there's like this kind of political intrigue, sort of like a really bad version of the grifters that happened with the three of them yeah. back in the day. But we're in present day with the older versions of these three people. Uh, although Sharon Stone doesn't show up until an hour 40 into this movie or like an hour 20 into this movie. Uh, but it's it's Jeff Bridges and Nick Nolte essentially playing the two uh, older versions of these two young men. Um, my My sort of feeling about this film was I wish that it was about them as younger people seeing them actually pulling off this scam. And then maybe tacking on some sort of fucking older version of them at the end. I just don't know. The older versions of them are are, are deeply boring. And and nothing's really yeah. going on. I, no, yeah, Phil, the, you say, like, it's about con artists. I'm like, well, 
it's Ish. not really it like it it presents as some sort of a con but all of the con is just sort of recounted anecdotally right. in flashbacks correct and it's not even really a con they're like ah we swapped a horse out and then we yep. frame this guy it's a lot of again this is it's 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 one of these things it's adapted from from a, a sam shepherd play it and it, the whole time i was watching it of course i mean i do this when i watch movies that are based on stage works is in my head i'm just trying to like imagine how it mm-hmm. was staged sure and sure. what stuff they must have added and oh clearly this was all one conversation but for the movie they took half of it and put it in the car and right whatever uh and i mean i i have to imagine it worked better on stage because what they do and the reason sharon stone does there's a lot of things that in a play you can save and reveal and dole out information slowly and it would make sense in the structure of a play in a movie, I feel like they just rearranged all of that. And so, like, the reveals don't really work because, like, all right, they want to have their, their uh, like, bifurcated uh, timeline structure. So all of the stuff where they're younger, I'm assuming, is not in the play. That's all just stuff that is referred to, probably. Yeah, I'm assuming that's all and, offstage, yeah. So they're putting that in, and then, the re- like, Sharon Stone can't show up for an hour and 25 minutes because they want to save it as some kind of reveal that young uh bridges married young stone like but it's obvious the entire movie to the audience that we're just like waiting for sharon stone to show up and there's only one female character we haven't met like it's i i i I feel like in the adaptation they did some things that undercut probably stuff that worked on yeah on the stage or they kept stuff that they should have cut that made it not work as a movie. What are some plays, some pl- for some adaptations yeah. that you guys really love? I mean, Glengarry. Plays, probably, not musicals. Glengarry is probably at the top. Of yeah, Glengarry. Yeah, who's I mean, afraid of Virginia Woolf is the one in my head. Sure, sure, right. sure. Um, I mean, I didn't hate. Um, what was the what was the movie we did in '99, Kenny? The the Big Kahuna. The, yeah, I didn't hate that. Big Kahuna Burger is Big good Kahuna too. Burger? It's they're it's solid. I think, you know, and, and just listening back to you guys talking about this this movie, which, you know, I'm sure was interesting. Um, I think what people don't seem to realize is uh, plays are not naturally uh, adaptable yeah. to film. And so many times you have medium. people say, well, you have so you have people say it's a film play. Well, whatever. That means nothing to me. When yeah. you sit down to write a play, you are writing for the limitations of the stage. So. I think the audience, I know the audience doesn't expect to see a fucking horse on stage when they when they go and see Unless this. They see right? a horse. I mean, then you expect it, to see a horse. Is it an actual horse? No, it's a no. giant puppet. It's like a marionette or, thing. Or Ekus. I, when I see Ekus, I do expect to see the horse. <laughs> but um, also a, a play that was made into a That's bad a, movie. Right, Kenny, that just sounds like a colloquialism you say in like reference to other things You're like yeah. <laughs> when you show up and like that you get like served a burger and there's no fries with it you're like look when i see equus i expect to see the horse <laughs> well you know you, well it's you know you know you know what happens to the horse the server just stares at you blankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, it, you're, became, so I, I agree with what you're very what popular you're on pornhub eventually but um but regardless my point is yes the great majority, the great majority of plays don't make 
good movies, can't make good movies, won't make good movies, specifically because they're not meant to be movies. Oh, another movie, another play that I love for a movie is um, Death and the Maiden. What's that? No, noise is off. off. I love, but that's a different thing altogether. But they, they, they tend to be, they tend to be these things that are, are, you know, that are very self-contained and aren't really about something else. That were the, the the tension of the moment, the tension of the of of the scene with between the characters, the dynamic really uh, works independently. It, my sense is Simpatico does not work independently because they felt like they had to show everything that happened in real life outside of the, um, you know, outside of the context of what we think the play is. I agree. And I would also, I would also argue too, uh, it might not have been a good play either. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't, I don't quite know. Obviously I never saw it or read it, but I, I just feel like what is transpiring in this film is just not particularly interesting. I don't, I didn't find the characters particularly dynamic um, or rich. And I mean, I guess it's a moral thing right like it there's sort of this kind of moral conundrum that's existing the albert finney part i found also very confusing i didn't really understand how i was supposed to feel about albert finney's character especially since like you know it seems as though kimberly williams has sex with him uh somewhat willingly i guess i'm not really sure how to glean that and then at the end they kind of like tack on this weird happy ending with Catherine keener that i'm just not really sure i'm supposed to what am I supposed to take away from all the of Catherine this? Catherine Keener character is so confusing <sighs> in this movie. Catherine She's Keener, so who... confusing. It's I, no, look, and I'm curious what, what Ryan actually. If there's any of us who have maybe are familiar with the play, it's probably Ryan. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if he has any insight into this. But it's, I feel like stuff like the confusion around the Albert Finney character is fully uh, a problem of the film because I guarantee you in the play. It's just it, he is like a fucking like late in the first act, maybe end of the first act is that scene where Nolte goes and finds him yep. and Nolte thinks, OK, I've achieved my goal. I've tracked this guy down. I'm going to yep. blow this whole thing up. And then Finney, you know, you expect Finney to be excited. And instead he says, no, I don't want mm-hmm. any part of this. And then N- Nolte has to like replan what what his sure, whole thing sure. is. And I think that probably works on stage. You get a, it's a. There is some juicy dialogue. Like yes. there's some juicy yeah. dialogue in this movie that I can imagine seeing it on stage plays great, real Sam Shepardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that you get so confused when they try to give these characters backstory and beef them out and show you this stuff that would just not be there in the play, where that character could just be a little mysterious and he just has these great lines and he's just sort of this mm-hmm. stop on this quest. But then yeah. they give you this his him like thinking about his family at the table and you're like this is all confusing information that we do not need and yep. if anything making this that character more complex makes him less interesting in a way it's i agree i mean really weird. i they're all muddy is the problem like i they're not and not muddy in an interesting way you know what i mean not in sort of this like gray zone sort of complexity what have you it all just feels sort of like you just don't really like any of them on top of the fact that you're just not all that engaged with them. But I I will say this when, when I hit play on this movie, I had not seen this film before. Kenny, you hadn't seen it before you watched no, it. No, I never even heard of it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Ryan, you had seen this, correct? Yeah. When it came okay. out. So I, 
immediately found myself, and I think I might have texted this to you, Kenny, about like, you know, quote unquote, they don't make these anymore, right? In the sense of this type of cast at this age, you know what I mean? A movie about quote unquote older people dealing with sort of, you know, the autumn of their lives or what have you. With, with quite frankly, a pretty stacked cast. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this is, maybe there's something to this. Again, I, I think that all the people that are in this film outside of, and I fucking love Catherine Keener. This is the same year as being Chauncey's the best. And yet, this is probably the worst performance she's ever given. And I love her. Well, but she's I think cast. Yes. But also, she's poorly directed too. Like, oh, yeah. She's just how drowning. About, but how about and Sharon the part Stone's, is badly written. <laughs> and the part is badly written. Yeah. How about Sharon Stone's utterly bizarre oh, year? Sharon Stone is awful in this movie. <laughs> Awful in this movie, but she's she also like whiffed Gloria, and I guess people liked her in the muse because she was nominated for a Golden Globe. But like that was that was not the right, you know that that was a that was a almost a take on a man a pixie dream girl that a lot of actresses would have just fucking Jenna Elfman nailed that in Ed TV for instance. Um, but it just she just was so flat this year. This was this was the year that she kind of lost it all. Well, I would argue that the three leads, because I was looking at the three. So you've got Jeff Bridges, who does uh, Arlington Road. He's also in The Muse, and he does Simpatico. You've got Nick Nolte, who does Breakfast of Champions and this film. Rough. And then you've got Sharon Stone doing Gloria and The Muse and this. like all The contenders around here as well, right? That's the next year. Yeah, next that's 2000. Bridges, yeah. So good in the contenders. Which, and he's fucking amazing. That was my big takeaway from this film was I was like, Jeff Bridges is a guy who can give you the big Lebowski in 98, then give you the contender in 2000, and these fucking three forgettable, somewhat free. I mean, people like Arlington Road, but I mean, just saying. It's it's interesting. Ryan. Yeah. What do you think? I think you're all wrong. I was going to say, I know yes. Ryan fucking likes this movie. You're all way wrong, of course. I, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't naturally. know. I, I I could easily be wrong. I mean, this is this is. No, I was watching I, I, this. I was like, Ryan, like, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm in a sensory oh, yeah. deprivation tank. I don't know what we're talking about. So, Ryan, fill me in. Uh, Why is look, it good? I I I guess I just don't I. I, I don't know. I don't know. We just come from such different backgrounds, I think, when it comes to topics like this. I, again, will argue that a noble failure is something so worthwhile watching. And this is laced with great actors and with fascinating performances from those actors. It's it's Sam Shepard, which, again, like I think if you're walking in and you don't know what Sam Shepard does, you're going to have a problem for sure. But, I mean, like – the the i don't know the 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 interesting nature of true west i can't see that being seen through the lens of like we like these characters therefore we must like this movie therefore it is a good movie that is not necessarily a, like who said who said likability i mean i i'm pretty sure i, I, Phil did, did. I, I did i did say the characters were unlikable not that that's oh. necessarily a good or a bad thing but Oh, I couldn't care less if the character Clay, like Clay, it Clay, not. don't don't worry. It wasn't Mario. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I forgot Phil said that saying, too. I, I was about to come down so hard on you, Ryan. I'm so upset that he that Phil actually said that. 
I think that the uh, flashbacks don't work. And you're you're totally right about that being just a device that, a, a again, it's so interesting that in this time period, like what you were saying, Phil, about a movie like this not getting made now, here you get, like, they did this, you know, so many times where they give a young director like an old, like a great property like this. They're like, you know, oh, no one's going to really see a Sam Shepard movie. So let's give it to this young person and they'll, you know, we'll give them a little bit of money. They'll somehow get a great cast because it's a Sam Shepard play. Uh, you know, stick John Toll as a cinematographer. And next thing you know, we think they're going to produce a great movie. And that's just never going to be the case. This feels like you know, an amateur mistake of like, well, we need to, you know, I, I d- disagree in terms of the like openness of the play into the movie. I love the fact that we're in the middle of bumfuck nowheresville with Nick Nolte, like walking on train tracks, going to a shitty bar. Like to me, that's Fat City. That's John Houston's Fat City and one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that. Oh, and I, oh, you just, just yeah, a little gameplay for the boxing draft. All right, man. Exactly. Uh, and we have not agreed to do the boxing draft. And- <laughs> when, was, when was the last time Nick Nolte played a dignified character? Good question. Why do you need him to play a dignified character? I don't. This is just, what, this what is, is just, I'm just wondering. Like, I, I do, I, 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 I do want to he played a character that, where his hair wasn't insane and he well, this d- is, didn't have this a stain is, on his shirt. You go to him to see crazy hair. But hold on, cr- hold on. I no, do this think is not a judgment, Ryan. I'm just saying this is just a question. I'm just trying to have like a like a memory exercise. Oh, well, like, I do, never. I, it, he doesn't do it. it. It's probably probably I'll do anything. There you well, go. Can, yeah. I, can I just I do want to say something very quickly to your point, Clay, because I do think it's worth unpacking because I, I wanted to kind of talk about Nick Nolte for a second, because you're making a really interesting point in the sense that Nick Nolte was a, you know, a movie star. A, a He was one of people's sexiest men alive. Like he used to be that guy. And then something happened. I don't know what it was, but it feels like he turned some sort of a corner and maybe it was Blue Chips. Is that what it was, Kenny? A, a movie where it felt like he just really kind of, at some point, I don't he wanna, turned into this version of Nick Nolte. I don't want to speculate too much, but I'm guessing it was not a movie role that, that okay, made, I see, that, that made I, him I make this term. I, I, I think, that. yeah, I mean, a Blue Chips. A chip vice of some of, sort. I think Blue Chips, you know, I think he's kind of somewhere in the middle still. To me, it's affliction. You know, to me, there's something about that That's moment. That's interesting. Yes, that, affliction, he, U-turn. Yeah, both around the so same year. Good right. in that. And like, you know, I think that that's when people kind of were like, oh, Nick, Nick. Because, yeah, he was like right. sexiest man alive and he's, he was a great romantic yeah. lead in the uh, in the early 90s. But at some point, I think, you know, around affliction, people were like Nick Nolte, uh, tragic mess. That's that's who we're right. going to go. That to was for, his like, about. like, like. Scent of a Woman for Al Pacino. Yes, yes. He just yes. the hoo guy. We, we of, found his section. We, we found his final form, yeah. But then he stops, like, yes, I agree with everything you're saying, Kenny. And I think he just really doubles down on that. And then we get to a place where it's like Nick Nolte ultimately, I would say now, is unintelligible. <laughs> like, well, when he he's speaks. Also, he's also uncastable now. Well, that's true. But yeah. He's you know, also, like, like s- 75. Right. <laughs> He's an but, old man I mean, now, guys. Like, but, but like, he actually. Hey, don't guys me. I'm on you. I'm on your side. <laughs> but what I. But all I'm saying about Nolte is like, why is he, he still actually, not the sexiest man alive? He played. That wasn't uh, what I was saying. What? What of his great roles later 
roles is um, in Warrior, where he just he kind of just rolls into every scene, like almost like Pigpen from the Peanuts <laughs> care. But he's so good as as that. So I mean, I he's know. Also, I, I also just to your point, and I agree with you, Kenny. A, a, a sort of little scene show. Luck was a great show. Um, the the David Milch horse racing show on HBO that ultimately uh, was canceled for killing too many horses, too which, many is horses. Right. which is understand, understandable. Uh, I, I obviously get that. It, it was, was like an underrated horse genocide. <laughs> He's really good in that show <laughs> because I think him and Milch are kind of were you know on the same wavelength. But this is all just to say that I don't disagree with what you're saying, Ryan, in terms of the fact that like when this movie started, and I'm like, okay. Disheveled, crazy oh, yeah. Nick Nolte. I'm with you. Jeff Bridges, clean cut, kind of almost at the beginning, feeling you know, in in sort of the he, same before he before he turned into disheveled, crazy Nick Nolte. Correct, right? But disheveled, disheveled Jeff Bridges is still understandable. I think. I mean, if Nick Nolte, oh, was I think true, this is if Nick Nolte was in true we'll, grit. That we'll be talk. Yeah. I was gonna say we'll Bill. we'll talk about out of the Spielberg produced draft. I think. Yeah. I think this is peak. Hmm. Nolte in as much as as this is this is sort of the inflection point I think this is where his voice is entertainingly insane but yes, still yes, intelligible yes. totally so I think this is this is peak peak N- N- Nolte time here and I appreciate the fact that like Jeff Bridges character starts very clean cut and then by the end is just a fucking disaster like I think there's something fun in that um, I do want to just uh, give a slightly a little bit more context here. Sympatico opens on December 17th against the Green Mile, Toy Story 2, Deuce Bigelow, Bicentennial Man, and Anna and the King. Um, just, a, just a fucking murderer's row. Uh, oh, it would man. go on to make $1.3 million on a $10 million budget. It has 23% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 14% from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film one and a half stars, says Simpatico is a long slog through perplexities and complexities that disguise what it really is, the kind of B-movie plot that used to clock in at 75 minutes on the bottom half of a double bill. It's based on a Sam Shepard play, Unseen by Me. Since Shepard is a good playwright, we're left with two possibilities. One, it was awkwardly adapted. Two, it should have stayed in Shepard's drawer. Um, I mean, listen, Sure. Or I on mean, the listen, stage. <laughs> this movie also, you know, to to release this on December 17th, Kenny, right in sort of obviously the Oscar corridor on top so, of like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Kenny. No, I, I, that's weird. The other movies that it was quote unquote <laughs> up against, they were all not Oscar players. But yes, go ahead. Sorry. Well, Green Mile ultimately was, but I, I, yeah, I that was sort of the in between. And, and I mean, that is also. There's a bunch of other things that come out around that time in limited release. Uh, Magnolia, obviously, is one of them. Uh, uh, Angela's Ashes is another one. Like, there were a couple Oscar kind of limiteds that were put into that weekend as well. But this is all just to say, like, that's a weird batch of movies to come out around that time. Yeah. I mean, even Deuce Bigelow, I'm sort of surprised. Me too. <laughs> Well, in 1999, I think is sort of the tail end of when a movie like this is sort of palatable to audiences because you really can boil it down to the fact that it's starring now two old guys. You know, Lebowski can be an outlier and he can do a lot of other interesting things, but Jeff Bridges is not, you know, jagged edge Jeff Bridges anymore. This is an old guy. And, you know, but I think what I appreciate about this movie is watching 
him and watching Nolte and watching, uh, I would argue, even Catherine Keener, who, yes, she's drowning, quote unquote. But I think the interesting thing is she's not necessarily like a character. She's sort of someone to play against. These two awful people using this innocent to sort of, you know, just get drawn into their shit. And so in, in a way, you're totally right, because I think when you watch a Sam Shepard play, there is a degree of acceptance of surrealism in these characters. You know they're in a waiting for Godot type of environment that they'll never get the fuck out of. It's like it's like and I that's where I think the beginning of this era, you can trace all the way back to like, you know, Kazan doing streetcar. Awful people treating each other awfully for two whole fucking hours and everybody accepts it and throws Oscars at it. Here we are in 1999. We're trying something similar, maybe not as great of a, you know, piece, but I would argue that Tennessee Williams is so close to Sam Shepard in terms of the way that they treat their characters and how people accept those characters and all of their right. shittiness and like watching train wrecks mm-hmm. that I think by 1999, people are just over it. Look at the movies that it's up against Magnolia fight. Club. I mean, all these movies, there's nothing, there's no similar DNA whatsoever between this movie and all well, of those. I've often said that Bicentennial Man is a secret uh, adaptation of w- w- Waiting for Godot. No, but th- right, that's that's a great point yeah. because you to buy into that surreality, there has the, the filmmakers need to be aware of what you were just saying, Ryan. You know, another like sh- uh, Shepherd adaptation that he is actually in. Um, oh, the one that Altman made. Uh, uh, oh, shortcuts? No, uh, no, the one on, it's yeah, uh, yeah. that's got Harry Dean in it. Five and like... nine, Jimmy Dean. No, not Didn't Jimmy Altman Dean. do the one at the roadside hotel. Yeah, what is like that? Just called? Sam Shepard and Harry Dean and Jessica oh, Lang. Who is this? Hold on. No, not Jessica Lang. Full, full for love. Full for love. Yeah, but like full right. for love. Like the 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 filmmaker has to sort of play into that style and play into that atmosphere and make it make sense in 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 all elements of what's going on i was watching this last night and my girlfriend was like why does jeff bridges keep going why didn't he leave that shitty house <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense he had he had his employee wire money why doesn't he go stay in a hotel like this is crazy but on the stage when they set up there was probably like four locations on this there was probably if like that yeah the shitty house maybe keener's apartment yep. uh, albert finney's office and then the mansion, probably for the last part of the of the play. There's probably four locations in the play, maybe. And then just like you said, Ryan, you said this a while ago, but it's a great point. The 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 major misstep that filmmakers often make when adapting a play is to try and make it too big and too expansive and try to add a bunch of shit. Though all the ones we listed that work, Kenny, Glengarry, Glen Ross, down the line, are ones that stay tight. Yep. Stay tight, f- but fully understand what makes the play work, and they they don't try to stray from that. They it is, they're just giving you excellent performances, a great interpretation of that dialogue, and oftentimes plays are a little bit uh, contained and claustrophobic, and that's what works like. That's works like fucking gangbusters so, in Glengarry is they like really like yep. put you in that office, like the audience gets put in that office, and this yeah. stay in that office in in the play. Like I would have, like, you know. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Like who framed, you know, I mean, I know who's afraid of Virginia Wolf is like that. It's, you know, basically real time. Glenn Gary is basically real time. Um, Long Day's Journey Tonight is not real time, but it's, you know, it's one day. That's a really great uh, film adaptation of a great play that takes place more or less in one location. I in, in and out, but in and out of the one location. But basically, yeah, I, I theoretically, I love the idea of opening up a play theoretically i love the idea of taking something for the stage and actually adapting it to the world that these characters would inhabit because they wouldn't inhabit one office or one home or one apartment or one hotel room like big kahuna um but i don't think i've ever seen it done well i mean the only other one that i've I mean, watched relatively by the way, recently- musicals do it all the time so it's not impossible yeah, and no. I don't think I don't think I think that term is sort of taken a little too literally. This whole idea of opening up the play—I mean, I can think of every play, every play turned movie is "quote unquote" opened up a bit. I think that it's it's what Clay said. It's like when you fundamentally don't understand the general tone, theme, and idea behind a play that it that that then becomes the biggest easy criticism well, is like well, well I mean, they added a bunch of outdoor scenes so therefore well, no, it but Ryan, it's not just the outdoor that, scenes that's not what i'm saying i don't think that's what kenny's saying like i have no problem with oh they took part of this conversation and now they're in the car instead of in the house that's right whatever it's the it is the adding like you were saying adding in the backs flashbacks all of, like, the flashbacks yeah. and, and, all I'm those, even, is, and i'm not even saying that i'm not even saying like frankly Glenn Gary is perfect, one of my favorite films. Virginia Woolf is perfect, one of my favorite films. Wouldn't change a frame of those things. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying there are certainly, you know, interpretations of some plays that would I mean, look, 12 Angry Men is a fucking play. It's one of my favorite movies ever made, right? But if you made that film any other way, you'd be an idiot. You know, you'd be a monster, right? So right. uh I don't think you have to do it, but I think like, for instance, you know, West Side Story takes place on the stage, too. But West Side Story, the musical, either either version certainly doesn't feel like it takes place on the stage. It feels like it takes place in New York. So I think that there are ways to do that thing, to open it up. But And, and I, I I don't obviously just mean settings. I mean, you know, let the let 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 the film be a film and the play be a play right. Um, that. Right. Don't see very often with with you know non musicians, and, and this is just the thing, Kenny. And your example of Twelve Angry Men is interesting. Is like this would be like if Twelve Angry Men opened with a ten minute sequence of every of juror yeah. at home in the morning before they go into court. We're like that. 
the kind of tr- the driving narrative train of most plays is slowly revealing who the characters are and slowly revealing backstory through the dialogue. That's I, what drives you forward. And movies oftentimes cannot get away with that because as we've all been saying, they're just an entirely different way to tell a story. But also if you take those, that character and that reveal that drives the play forward and you pull that out and say, we're going to create a bunch of scenes with that and intersperse them throughout the thing. You're just diffusing the entire like I, narrative uh, thrust of the piece. Clay, I think you just pitched the most blasphemous uh, limited series of all time. <laughs> 12, 12 Angry Men, where every episode is you dive into the backstory oh, of what Dive of the into jurors. the backstory of the, yeah. Oh, Amazing. Um, well, I mean, listen, uh, I, I kind of want to keep this one short because I want to hear your top 10 list of 1999 as we've been having our... Our yes, beloved no. guests but I guess come I, on and do. Yes, go ahead. But I, ha- I, ha- I do have to hear from Ryan. Ryan, you I, look, I was on board with this movie th- for the first like half hour. Mm-hmm. And then it started to unravel for me when they started doing the flashbacks. Um, Ryan, it sounds like you liked this movie. Is it just like the Sam Shepard-ness of it or like is it is it the is it the performances to me it's like like it's it's a very easy fix so i i picture you know this movie in the hands of someone just a little more seasoned and all and and who knows like i I, we're blaming the director i could easily see a shitty studio that doesn't give this director final cut saying dude you got to add some more backstory because we can't have these unlikable characters for two whole hours but my vision would be Sean Hattesey is on fire right now. He, we got to put him in this. Movie. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sorry. I, I do disagree that anytime I see Nolte Bridges or Finney, oh. like I'm in and I'm the definitely Nolte and Finney scene is the best scene in the movie. And I love the Nolte and Bridges scene in the very beginning to me, yeah. you know, and we kind of disagreed about this with Mikey and Nikki, but I think it's similar where you're watching two shitty people who are wrapped up in one another and you can't, you can't they as much as they want to separate Clay, they you don't like Mikey together. No, no, no. He 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 liked he likes it. You Kenny, like it? <laughs> Kenny, you're on the Patreon. Yeah. You Are know. you skipping the cool kids Criterion Club corners? I'm I'm in it for the list, guys. Uh but no, you, wait, who who's I will listen to it. It's, so it's think, one of my it's, it's it's one of my favorite movies. But uh but, but think about this movie with a half hour cut out of it because of the uh flashbacks. Right. I mean, look, I you know, Sharon Stone's in it for 15 minutes. She's you're totally right. If they would have not even addressed her in the credits that you didn't even know she was in it, then all of a sudden it's this weird fun reveal that is a classic late 90s awesome. And that's true. That's true. Right. And yeah, she's like, the center of the poster. Yeah, like wanna... they announced her in in the in the opening. It's ridiculous. Before we get to the Top tens, which I'm obviously very interested in. Ryan, I want to just go back to something because now you've been on for several. It's almost your your beat. It's your corner. Noble failures. Yes. What is it about the noble failure for you? It's just it 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 sort of grounds the movie for me in a bit of humanity. I I figure if I were to ever have a director career, I would have a series of noble failures. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, you know, I love that. I think it's like I think art doesn't have to be perfect all, for us all, all to. All the financiers who financiers who listen to our podcast, Brian's watching it off of the hills. Brian's watching Simpatico and just nodding and being like, mm, "Yep, that's how I would have fucked it up too." <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Series I of noble failures. But I don't know. It, and I have to say, a lot of these have come, you know, in 1999, which I was a young man, and I just think it's a different time where you were allowed a noble failure, and you are not allowed a noble failure anymore. There is no such thing. There's no nobility and failure at all we, we, in today's we could talk about We could talk about that differently because, I mean, there's we could talk about it another time. There's a different kind of way things are failures and the way things are reappraised almost immediately and reclaimed. And this is good is actually bad and bad is actually good. Yeah. But what I would say about this particular year, 1999, and the ability to have noble failures, your three noble failures, uh, this I have the beholder pushing tin, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, that is a they, triple feature, guys. They all <laughs> that is an incredible me, triple. <laughs> they all to me, yeah, feel like early '90s movies. Could and I also? Of, would you put the abyss in there too? Just out of curiosity, kind of a noble failure, right? Jim, absolutely. No, he's never failed. He's never failed. I mean, at the uh, box office, but okay. Uh, it's an '89 movie. You could put it in. It's but but what I'm trying to what, what I'm trying to say is. It's a wonderful, noble failure. It's an absolute noble failure. And I think Clay was alluding to this, too, earlier, this idea of these uh, these movies, their 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 time had passed them by 1999. They weren't making movies like this anymore at that moment. I know we say you don't make movies like this now. They didn't make movies like this then. That's why all three of those movies were kind of, you know, failures. They were all kind of, they were all kind of, they all felt like scripts that were written in about 93, 94 that sat in someone's, you know, sat in development hell for a long time. And by the time they actually made the, you know, made the multiplexes or the art house, um, no one was interested. Yeah. They're not in it, they're not in and of themselves, I guess, terrible films. Um and but I mean I think so, they're all pretty pretty bad. I, but, I, you know, that's just pretty bad. But I I'll do, I will I just want to say that I do think of the ninety nine films that you come on for, Ryan, I do think that Pushing Tin is not just the most interesting of the three, but the one that feels like they could have made that work. Sure. You know what sure. I mean? Like two I, years earlier, Pushing Tin is a hit. It's certainly it's certainly possible. Kenny is totally right about that. Yeah. You know, 99, I'm telling you, it's in, you know, we, we, we lived through it. We know like there was a feeling in the air that just things were changing and the movies yeah. weren't going to be as yeah. fun and safe as they once were. And that wasn't exactly the case, but in that particular year, it really did feel like there, there was a change a coming, you know, we've obviously done every movie now with the exception mm-hmm. of two, the yep. entire year. And so we know what kind of was, we know films were successful and what weren't critically and commercially. And very few films that were successful commercially feel like they were remnants of the early 90s. The only one I can think of mm. is Runaway Bride. <laughs> Outside of that, sure. the the rest of the of the top 10 or further, you know, I mean, with the exception of Star Wars, but that's its own thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the rest of like the top 10 really kind of felt like they were pushing the medium forward a little bit. And then in terms of, you know, the Oscars, just to kind of shorthand the critical, you know, the, the, the critical side. Yeah, you had Cider House Rules and you had Green Mile, but they were kind of immediately ignored yep. um, by everybody. And no one talks about them today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there is. And both of those movies, I would say, are feel like mid 90s movies as well. Oh, 100. So, yeah, for sure. It's yeah. it is really um, it is interesting to sort of. The box office thing you were talking about, Kenny, I think is very true. If you look at the top 10 most successful films of 99, most of those films 
are pushing things. I mean, even the mummy. I mean, like even yeah, even know, the mummy. Yeah. I, I would say Tarzan, maybe not as much. But but to your point, I still think you know your six senses, your matrixes, your Blair Witch projects. I mean, th- these are groundbreaking movies that are definitely you know changing shit for the better. Yeah, and even like a Toy Story two, even yeah. movies that feel familiar are you know are, are kind of pushing things forward. And uh, you know, Tarzan. I mean, Tarzan is is swinging on the vine of you know the Disney <laughs> Renaissance, but. In and of itself, it's a pretty different kind of movie, too. I, I well, yeah, because the songs were written independently and sure, basically Phil Collins just like, here's a bunch of songs, and they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, and, it's look, just... and that worked <laughs> so much better than when uh, Sting spent three years trying to write bespoke songs for the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen that, Kenny? Have you seen uh, the Sweatbox? <laughs> The Sweatbox. Oh, there's a documentary about the making of The Emperor's New Groove that Sting's wife directed. That's one of your favorite movies, right? Called The Sweatbox. You can find it on the internetarchive.org. It is fascinating. Here is a really really good screencast for you guys. Oh. Documentaries made by the the creative person's wife. (laughs) <laughs> about the making of the movie or the or something are like there more than like are, how many are there yes they're like a lot <laughs> like, i mean the hearts of darkness is, sure. is like a famous the shining one. yeah there's yeah that, that was a daughter right daughter what, yeah i mean as long as it's yeah. a relative a family member someone yeah. someone someone who's making the the in the moment documentary on the person making the thing it's happened like a lot yeah Interesting. Well, yeah, to yeah. your point, Kenny, Simpatico should have been a 1992 movie directed yes. by Alan Rudolph, and the flashback yes. yeah. should have been contained to, like, one, like, 11-minute, yeah. like, sequence in, like, the middle of the movie. Um, let's rate this. I, I think it would have been, you know, Phil would have talked about it next month, but. It's true. Uh, let's rate this real quick, because I want to hear your top tens. Um, and then we have, obviously, um a Twilight movie to talk about. <laughs> I'll go real. I'll go real fast. I gave okay. it a fifteen. Uh, uh, I don't remember why. I'm not going to go up or down because I don't remember why. But I appreciate that. That wait, uh, a, a one five or a five zero? A one five. I okay. really didn't like it, but I don't remember why. Uh, I'm not going to go up. I mean, it feels disingenuous at this point. Just go up because I, you know, I feel like Ryan probably made good points, but I have no idea. I don't remember the movie. Uh, Ryan, what, what what was your what was your in '99, and what are you now? Oh, I think at the I think they're about the same. I'd say okay. around a seventy-five. Oh. You know, yeah, I'd say so. Man, yeah. Ryan oh. loves Nick Nolte. This is really, I do this love finding. I first of all, it's funny you should mention that Clay because I remember pitching a Nick Nolte draft to you in year one mm-hmm. with me and Steve Berg, and now this movie has revived my interest in that draft. <laughs> So That'd be a good draft. He's got a lot of movies. Hell yeah, Phil, yeah, and we're doing yeah. it 2023. Can't wait. Get can't Bill, wait. Get get Bilga on so he oh, can. Bilga uh, would he Bilga would go to town with you about. He's uh, a big Nolte man. Big Nolte head. I, really? I also okay. just want. Have you seen uh, Breakfast of Champions, Ryan? Oh, a few times. I love that movie. God. <laughs> oh, I, I think we. I think we actually have this movies nuts Ryan before. Movie yeah, is that great. movie's that movie's nuts. That movie's wild. Bonkers uh, as fuck. Yes. All right, Clay. <laughs> Where are you at? Like 32? 32? Because, like, I was not, I was perplexed and I was disappointed. And by the end, I was like, when is this going to be over? But for a lot of it, I was like, even if it didn't 
it was very kind of mushy in terms of what you're supposed to care about and what's moving this thing forward. Sure. And to Ryan's point, they left in the text, the sort of surreal stuff, but they didn't bring the stylization to make it mm-hmm. feel like it was cohesive in a larger mm-hmm. sense. So that stuff was just kind of like, I was like, I, I understand on stage how it works visually and metaphorically sure. to have bridges deteriorate as Nolte sort of like cleans up and mm-hmm. takes so like that is a very theatrical device that I feel would work really, really well on stage. And here they just did it without adjusting anything else around it. They did that mm-hmm. a lot of times. So you're just kind of like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but uh, then you get a great scene like the like Nolte and Albert Finney, 12 or 13 minutes. And you're like, ah, this is, this is cooking. These are two great actors. This is good totally. dialogue. This is this is fun. So I I think there's there are pleasures to be had here, but it doesn't work as a movie. So it's like a 30, 32. Yeah, I mean, I came into this at a 30. Um, but I have to say that some of the stuff you're saying, Ryan, has certainly it's maybe go up a little bit. I mean, it's it's still not gonna be above. I mean, I'm at like a 38, 39 now. Like I I again, I think I'll that you it. make you make some really valid points and I, and it does make me think, I mean, have you done clay? Have you done a play draft? You must know. Right? Well, oh, well, no, we, I mean, we've done a, did we did do like a stage musicals adaptation thing? We've yeah, never and- done a play. There's a few different ideas for at a play or some musical adaptation things for the future. Cause it yeah. does, it, it does feel interesting. Cause it's like, as we've sort of unpacked here, it feels like, uh, it's it's sort of a strange spectrum of films. It's, it's almost unfair because up until about 1965, yeah, half the movies were play adaptations, and they were right. you know necessarily play adaptations because you were you know essentially working with the same limitations that you were working with on film. Yeah. So you'd almost have to have a line of demarcation. Um, but I'd say you call you call playwrights. You know, like we did you the Shakespeare do, yeah. draft. You do Tennessee yeah. Williams, no, you Neil Shepard. You know, you could yeah, do, I could do like you know, like Pulitzer winner Neil Simon. Yeah, or, there you go. Yeah, so many. Um, well, okay, and this guys. play. Did you guys watch the the uh, credits on this? No. <laughs> so, like this play, maybe to your to your idea, maybe this isn't a good play. Like it, it, it didn't play. Like it's credit. Like original production played the New York Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. So is this this could have just been like a one-off <laughs> yeah. thing that Shepard wrote and was never like put up in a in a extended run and they're just like Shepard what do you have and he's like you want to put my name on something I I wrote this and they're like all right yeah I had well I mean, and to be fair, honest he's got so many plays that <laughs> well, I was gonna say that's that was also Shepard's modus I mean he he overwrote. And so there was just so many plays off Broadway and then you'd get a few that broke through onto the big scene. But, you know, for the most part, he was very fringy. He was a very kind of avant-garde fringe writer and every once in a while would break through to the mainstream. So I think he's also very confusing to people and to to directors and producers, I'm sure, in Hollywood because he's also great looking and he's a great actor and he did Days of Heaven and all this stuff. So he's he's got such an interesting career, you know, right stuff is there. It's just so, so interesting with him. Sam Shepard draft. Now that, that is a Sam Shepard, he is, he is like, yeah, sort of like the proto like Brad Pitt or Colin Farrell or something where he's like a weirdo who's just way too handsome to for Hollywood worst. not to try and make him a leading man. I hate I hate these bastards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right, let's hear your 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 ninety nines, guys. Uh, I didn't rank go... mine. Are they supposed to be ranked? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Oh. I mean, I mean, what? Uh, why don't you guys go backwards Look, I, from ten? I, I go on other and, people's podcasts to get a break from all of this ranking. Clay, fill it out. Clay, Stuff. do it as do it as you as do you it can. On the fly. Okay. All right, Ryan. Why don't you go first? Start at okay. ten. Let's start at ten. My number ten is the Iron Giant. Uh, my number okay. nine yeah. is the straight story. David Lynch's straight story. Number right, eight right. is being John Malkovich. Number seven is Alexander Payne's election. Yeah, uh, sure. Number six is Chris Smith's American movie, the great documentary. Mm-hmm. One, um, of the, one of the last two movies we have left to do. It might oh, end no up being sh- the last thing we record. <laughs> it, it might be the last awesome. thing we record. It won't yeah. be the last thing. Guys, you yeah. saved one of the best for last. So well, we, see, we, we we're crazy about it, but yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. Number five. Number five, I have Bringing Out the Dead. Yeah. Love that uh, pick. Yeah. Yeah, number four is all about my mother, Amadovar. Oh wow, great movie! Number three is the Limey, which is these yes. top three change places yes. all the time. Sure. Number three is the Limey. Number two is Eyes Wide Shut. Number one is Magnolia. So those those three I mean, are interchangeable. What, what, many many years they change. So I yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. You've got being John Malkovich as low as you have it, but I I mean listen, you got a lot of great movies ahead of it, so I get I get it. But yeah. <laughs> not as interesting as where being John Malkovich is on my list, which sounds like not, not on your on list. It. Is not. Um, wow. Woo. I went for I just I really I didn't put, assemble this until like right before we jumped on. Yeah, and I did this on pure gut. Okay, emotion. Love this. Is just like what are the movies yeah. I personally love the most. And rewatch yeah. the most, and then the ranking I just did in the last ten seconds. Great. So that's even more. Just like d- don't think about it. Gut, love this. Okay, cool. what do we got? We're going backwards. No number ten. Number ten is uh, election. Right. Number nine is cruel intentions. Love number it. eight, cruel intentions is a fucking fun ass movie. It's a great movie. I mean, Kenny's oh a, my god, a huge you, you, cruel you, intentions. You, fan. you don't have to convince me, buddy. <laughs> Uh, I probably watched Cruel Intentions more than most of the other things I'm going to say on this. We had we had Roger Cumble on on this pod. I mean, we're I I absolutely love that film. He was Uh, my eight is October Sky. Interesting. Okay, Clay. Sure. Perfect movie. It does. Uh, that does feel like a Clay movie. I don't say that in, in any disparaging oh, way. It does feel. Perfect it just, perfect I know Ryan likes that movie. Perfect movie for a rainy day in science class. Go ahead. Oh my god! <laughs> and why? And I saw it. You know, on the big screen when it came out. I was listening to the score yesterday and like tearing up. It's a beautiful movie. <laughs> what am I at? I Seven do, American uh, movies on my list as well. Yes, there, I think yes. Ryan, you had it at six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen it in a long time, but I remember like every moment of it. It's just like such a unique document. I love that. Me too. Um, Six is Galaxy Quest. Great movie. Great movie. Five is Toy Story 2. Mm -hmm. Four is Eyes Wide Shut. Do I have a three? Three, Topsy Turvy. Kenny's favorite movie. That's fighting words for... This is how I feel about Topsy Turvy. Three, Topsy Turvy. Uh... (laughs) Two, 
Notting oh. Hill and number one, yeah, the talented be, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, I mean, there was, if there was anything list. else, I would have been shocked. <laughs> I, I I really love that you saw Top Studio for the first time like six days ago, and it's your third best movie of the great 1999. But okay, I saw man, it. Uh, as happy, I'm happy you're happy. I saw it within the last year, but more like nine or ten months ago. And then I went and saw it again when it played the big yep. screen On at Adero, the Los Feliz yeah. 3. Amen. Oh, 3, yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, no, it's a to, absolute to each their own I will absolute say, masterpiece. I do want to say though, and we talked about this obviously on our Topsy Trivi draft, and this isn't really so much about Topsy Trivi the film, but like I do think that oh, yes, is, what's up? Is that music coming from my thing? I don't hear music. Uh, I guess it is. All right, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't have music either. <laughs> I don't hear music, but that's amazing. All right, um, I, I I don't know where it's coming from. What I was just going to say ahead. is um, I watched Life is Sweet recently, the, the Mike Lee film from like, I think it's the early 80s, if I'm not mistaken, or mid 80s. Yeah. And I just, that guy's just incredible. Like the, the, the spectrum of movies he made are just unbelievable. And whether or not you're a fan of Topsy Turvy or not. Tremendous but director. He's, One of our best. Unreal. He really, really is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I think he's an incredible director. And I think he got a little outside his lane with that one. Um, but listen, uh, it goes without saying that you guys were staples of, of podcasts like it's 1999. So we're incredibly grateful for you guys coming on as many times as you did, having us on your podcast. Um, and it just it didn't feel right to not have you guys back for, for one last 99. Uh, for one last <laughs> chunker piece of shit. Look, that's right. I thank you for, I, thank, you for <laughs> thank you for taking that bullet. Look, I got out ahead of of being uh, offered the shit movies uh, based on my relative uh, prominence. <laughs> and I, I requested them. I said, no, yep. no, no, no. <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. I want, I want the bad movies. Please. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> by relative prominence. It's incredible. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the that moment I, don't those wa- words, I, I don't even want the Tales of Mr. The Ripley moment episode. those words came no, out, no, I no, could no, see no. Clay being I want I <laughs> I I mean right. I I we honestly truly it's been such a blast having you guys on for mm-hmm. these episodes. We're obviously gonna we're gonna go we're gonna roll right into uh, Twilight New Moon. Both these episodes are being released on the same day as they should, obviously. Oh, what a Hell treat yeah. for your listeners. Uh, a treat for our listeners who just can't get enough of the dulcet tones of Curly Keller and Ryan Marker. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.